Welcome to the Business as Mission podcast, dedicated to those who long to see God glorified in business and the nations reached for Christ. Your host is Mike Bayer, longtime BAM leader and founder of Third Path Initiative, an online education resource for starting and growing BAM businesses around the world. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Business as Mission podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bear, and I am here this afternoon with Eric Olson, uh, who I got introduced to through the BAM Global Congress that we did virtually last year. I was so impressed with his organization, Dignity Coconuts, that I said, hey, would, would you join us for a podcast and tell your story? So, Eric, first of all, welcome, and then I'll kind of give a more formal introduction to who you are. Yeah, thanks for having me on today. I'm looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to this for, for quite a while. So Eric's got a, an amazing background, and, and you can check him out on LinkedIn if you want to learn more. But uh, I guess the, the story begins. You said you ran businesses in college, and you, you were studying business, and you, you, you know, I guess business has sort of been always there for you. But he was telling me that he, he started going over, I guess, doing community development, in Iraq, and there the, and I don't want to tell your story. You correct me if I'm wrong here, but the, the, there you began to see the connection of business and impact, right? And when we we talk about business as mission, but it's really it's 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 impact business. You know, when you think about it, and and community development is done many different ways through NGOs and so forth. But when you began to see that connection, it really changed your direction, didn't it? Yeah, well, actually, I, I thought I really had to make a choice between after that year in Iraq of community work, I thought I have two choices. I can choose to keep doing this community development work, helping the poor, helping the needy, and or I can go do this, go do business, which was my other passion. And I really felt like they were in conflict with each other. So at that time, I chose to stick with community development. And it wasn't until nine years later that I realized there could be a beautiful marriage between those two that would actually increase the impact that we could have in a community. That's well said. And I appreciate you going there, Eric, because there's so many young people in particular who are kind of in that dilemma where, you know, I, they, they, they come out of college and they've got a heart for business. They've got a heart for God. They got a heart for people. And they feel like there's a, there's two roads in front of them, two paths, if you will. Right. And, uh, and you, you found a third path, which is, that's the name of our organization, by the way. That's where it got its name, is trying to appeal to graduates saying you don't have to make a choice. You can actually do, you know, business as mission or kingdom business or impact business or whatever you want to call it. You can do, do both. And that's what you did. So, all right, so nine years later, you've been working in community development and for an NGO and you begin to have an encounter as I read your bio, but an encounter that, that, that brought these things together in your mind, but you were able to start seeing what God could do through real business. And so you, you make reference to human trafficking. Tell a little bit to our audience about that. We had just recently, we had Rachel Nelson on mm. Freedom Business Alliance, and it, it's really become a, a topic of great interest to our listeners to, to see what is human trafficking and how business is making a difference? That was a big deal for you. Yeah. I think we, we started seeing as, as we were helping uh, women that were trafficked and, and helping survivors, we started seeing one of the biggest issues for women when they get out is getting a meaningful job. I was talking with A21, another great organization fighting human trafficking, and they said, quoted that 80% 
of the women that get out of sex trafficking end up back in the same evil industry. And they said the number one indicator of whether they would be able to, to stay away from that industry is whether they had a meaningful job. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's many other things that are involved in this. It's, it's very complex, helping people uh, you know, find meaning in their life, find value in their life, the trauma counseling. There's so much involved. I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think jobs is something that we've really overlooked for a long time. Of And there's something inside of us that was meant to create something that was meant to do something of value that others uh, would pay money for, for that. And, and so I think there's something about a meaningful job that is inherent, inherent to our identity. And I think it's, it's, in, it's essential to our dignity. Uh, that that is really God given and and put inside of us, but it's often covered up or buried by other people, especially in the sex trade. And, and that's something that I think more and more Christians are becoming aware of. But the world in general is becoming aware of the economic driver within the sex trafficking or, or human trafficking problem. Some forty million slaves worldwide. Yeah, uh, mostly women, a lot of children. And it's and, and it, the typical naive way of looking at it is, oh, it's all about sex. And that's not the case, certainly not for the victims. Yeah. Uh, very often, right, it's a, a family sells one of their daughters into the trades uh, because they have no other way to provide for their family. Or someone crosses a border for the promise of a good job, only to find out when they're in another country, they've lost their passport, they've lost their connections, and they're forced into, into sexual activity. But, but the, the economic piece of it to me is so powerful that it, it, a lot of companies, and, and I think your company, I'm looking, really looking forward to you tell the story, but a lot of companies, not necessarily spiritually based companies, just companies are recognizing they can make a difference by providing jobs in a compassionate environment for particularly the women to come out and to be set free and, and stay free. So how did that realization you said was that in the philippines that you began to encounter this was it were you still in iraq where where, where, i guess geographically did this revelation begin to take place well this was happening in collaboration with my father-in-law stephen freed he was doing a lot of international work as as well we were in different areas of focus but uh, he had uh, launched teams into honduras athens greece uh, Cambodia, Thailand. And so he was seeing this macro picture of what was happening and, and where we were being effective in helping these, these women get out and where we were really weak. And, um, and so we were working together and I, I think we, we were, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story that, that illustrates kind of one of our aha moments. We were talking to farmers in the Philippines. It was one area that was very vulnerable to trafficking. And we're the, the two industries in this very rural area, I mean, think middle of the jungle, was coconut and rice. And so we were talking to the coconut farmers, just trying to get an idea of what, what's life like, what's, what's your situation, who do you sell to, how does that all work? And at one point at the end, we, we just said, hey, just tell us what's your hopes and dreams for your life? Mm. We thought he would talk about you know, education for his kids, or because most people in that area have less than a sixth grade education, or we thought he would talk about building a better home that could withstand typhoon because he he had a Nipah hut that would constantly get blown over with these typhoons that are common to the Philippines. And he looked us in the eye 
and said, my biggest hope in life is that my debt will not be passed on to my children. And what we didn't realize was in the coconut industry, they don't have a lot of freedom over who they can sell their coconuts to. And oftentimes they get locked into these predatory loans in times of desperation. And not only are these interest rates over 200% and it makes it nearly impossible to get out of, but what happens is when they get locked into that predatory loan with their buyer, that buyer then says, well, you have to sell me your next batch of coconuts. And instead of giving you 25 pesos, like the market says I should, I'm actually going to give you 21. And so, and because they're, they have this loan, they, they have to do it. And so it keeps them in this perpetual state of poverty where they actually are getting further and further into debt. But because it's not spelled out, it's, there's no contracts, it's not written down, uh, they, they get hooked into it easily and they never really see how far in, in debt they're they're getting year after year. So, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, I, when I hear that, I think, you know, that clearly they didn't know what they were getting into. And it reminds me a little bit in the U.S., you know, we have the whole company town, company store. Remember the old song, I owe my soul to the company store. It, it, is, a, it is a scam fundamentally, right? It is a con to create this sort of indentured servitude uh, yes. that goes with that. Yeah. And in the Philippines, they call this copra slavery. Uh, it, it, it's really common and it's un, very unfortunate. And so back to your point, th- this is what creates that desperation when, when a trafficker comes by to that farmer's family and says, hey, I could provide your daughter with a job in a, the big city or in another country. It clouds their judgment. Even if, they, if their gut says, don't trust this person, don't do it. Uh, they they might do it because they think there's no other way. I'm trapped. So we saw an opportunity to say, is there a way to help these farmers get untrapped? Along with helping provide jobs, we thought we could. This was a chance to do both to bring that economic development that would bring about some freedom of choice. So that was the beginning, the birth, if you will, of Dignity Coconuts. Yeah. So, t- so tell us about that business. I mean, what, what exactly is it? I, I know people can look it up. I heard you talk about it at the BAM Global Congress. It was a wonderful video that they did about all the things that Dignity Coconuts is doing. And we'll unpack a little bit of that for our audience. But, but just how did it move from, okay, I just heard this guy give me this heartbreaking answer, but I just don't want my debt passed on to my family when I die. And that opening up this window, how, how, did, how did that lead to Dignity Coconuts? And, and what is it exactly? What do you guys do for the business? Yeah, what we really wanted to do is take this, take what the community had and help them bring it to the global marketplace. In a lot of our community development work, we, we use, it's called asset-based community development work. So we're looking at the community instead of saying, what can we bring to the community to help them? We're saying, what does the community have that's a value? And how can we use that to help them? And so one of the resources they had in abundance was coconuts. And we thought there's got to be a way to bring more value uh, to, to this coconut. All of the coconut farmers, were they were just selling. It was, it's called copra. They would dry the meat out and sell it. And it was really low profit, if any profit at all. And yet at the same time, this was around 2010 that we were discovering this, we saw this huge global demand for coconut products. Virgin coconut oil was taking off coconut water and all these others. 
And we thought there's got to be a way that we can add more value. And so we, we didn't know anything about coconuts. In fact, when they first started telling us about coconut oil and all the amazing benefits that it has for you, we thought they're really uh, pulling our leg. This sounds like snake oil. You know, they talked about hundreds of cures and benefits between, you know, brain food and heart health and it's antimicrobial. It reduces your hunger, reduces inflammation, uh, it helps with vitamin absorption. And, and we, we really didn't believe them at first, but we got into the science and saw it was actually really true. Uh, there it's, it's quite an amazing, well, it's could be a nut or a fruit. It's technically a droop, but it, it's an amazing nut. And so we started seeing how could we use use the coconut and there's actually multiple parts of the coconut. And the main, the first thing we started with was that coconut oil, because it's one of the most valuable parts of the coconut. And so we figured out how do you make coconut oil? It is a lot of research and development. It actually took us about four years to finally come up with our finished product uh, that we could, that we could sell in the market. Your website or your, your LinkedIn profile talks about I guess it was it was news to me that the, so much of the coconut products in the world are coming from spoiled, rotted coconuts. It's not even a pure product, right? And so you set out to to not only help the farmers sell their product worldwide, but also to improve the quality of the product itself. Was there a, a special technology that you began to put in play, or were others doing it? Or you know, I always love it when God gives somebody a better way of doing something. Mm. You know, it's not just helping people. It's not just making some money for folks, but actually a better process. How, how did you get to that point? Yeah. Th- so there's two main ways to make coconut oil. The one is really disgusting. It's, it's this refined coconut oil. You, you can buy it in the store. It's the, re- it's refined and it comes from coconuts that have been baked in the sun or an outdoor oven. And because it's in the sun, you get bugs on it. There's mold on it. If you look at the pictures on our website, it, yeah, you, you might want to, uh, <laughs> you know, be careful. Don't if you do just it before lunch. dinner. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's quite disgusting. And that's why when it, when they take that, it's called Copra, uh, the, the meat of the coconut that's been dried out. When they take that to the mill, it gets blasted with re- refineries it gets bleached because it's this dark yellow color that nobody would want to eat. And it gets deodorized because it just stinks. And that's in the end, that's the refined coconut oil. Some people like it because it's cheap. Other people like it because it doesn't have any coconut taste or smell to it. And that's why in kind of 2010, around those years, there was this breakthrough in this virgin coconut oil where manufacturers started making coconut oil that, that was made uh, they would dry out the meat in a slightly different way that made the oil uh, less disgusting. In the process, we were and we had planned on making that kind of coconut oil. Given those two choices, we thought, well, we should do the better one. And so we had we were planning on buying the machinery to do that. And, and in, but in our process of researching it, we realized that in order to do that, it's made at a high temperature. Even the one that's called cold press coconut oil is it reaches a high temperature when they're trying to separate the milk from the oil. And we kind of took a step back and said, is it possible that there's a third way? And we looked at the olive oil industry and, and asked a few of our friends there. And they said, well, have you tried using a centrifuge? Uh, which a centrifuge, you know, spins the material really fast and the G-force separates it. And we tried it. And our first batch, we were just amazed. 
it was better than anything else that was on the market. And really, it kind of felt like this had been just landed in, in our lap. So we we started working with that. It unfortunately to get it from a, a simple sample test to a manufacturing level took far longer than we had planned. And the people that we had trust that had promised us that they could get us there uh, really did not uh, come through on the promise. It took far too long and was far too expensive. But in the end, we ended up with this third class now of coconut oil that's better than the previous two. Mm. And so we were happy. I, I think if I was to go back and do it again, if I, if I knew how much we would have to toil to get this, this product in the end, you know, I don't know if I, I would have done it again, uh, but I'm really proud of the product we did create. It's not, we don't just have a good story of helping the community. We have a uniquely better product that, that we can offer in the marketplace. And I think that's, that's been probably one of the biggest selling points and part of the biggest reason that we've, we've grown so much is because it's, uh, it really is better both in terms of the, uh, helping people and the product itself. And it's noticeable. We'll be right back after a short break. So here, here we are in the, it, it's February, 2022. I'm not sure exactly when this episode will come out. It'll be sometime this spring, but you know, we're, we're many years down the road. What, how, how, how big is the company? How, how widespread is this impact? Where's its market? And, and frankly, can we get this product here in the U.S.? Well, I'll answer that one first. Yes, you can. Uh, we, we're in about 1,200 stores around, around the U.S. And then uh, we're also in Hong Kong. And I have a couple of stores there. And then also in, in the U.S., we're on Amazon and, and our website. So, uh, yes, we'd love for you to try our products. In fact, we just launched some new lip balms that use our coconut oil. Coconut oil is a great ingredient in lip balms. And so we saw a great opportunity to use our ingredient in these lip balms. And we, again, figured out how do you make a lip balm that doesn't have all these terrible chemicals. And in, in, so that's very natural. It just uses some essential oils and very natural ingredients. And it's really great for protecting your lips. Uh, the only downside is it, it does melt in hot temperatures. So uh, <laughs> if, when we're shipping to Texas in the middle of summer, it, we do get very nervous. <laughs> you might have to add some ice packs or something. We're still working on that part. Good. And is it sold to the brand? It's Dignity. It's the brand name? Dignity Coconuts. Okay. Fantastic. So I would encourage our listeners, and I'll put this in the show notes. Uh, we have several companies like yours. One is Sunshine Nut Company in Mozambique. Hmm. Great. It's a very similar story. And their product is superior. And we, we try to encourage our, our listeners to say, well, and then I'm going to buy it. Yeah. Not just to support the company, but because it's a better product. So I've never tasted a cashew that crunches like theirs does. It's fantastic. Yeah. Isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. So it, I think we look forward to the growth of our company. I, we hope to someday launch a, a coconut water and a coconut milk under our own brand. We plan, we, we really have, have plans to expand into, we have about a dozen locations around the tropics that we'd love to do this again in some of those places. And we have dreams even to go beyond coconuts. Uh, we'd, we'd love to, see, there's a lot of places in the world that, that have fantastic mangoes that uh, they, they don't, they're not able, they don't have the equipment to make them shelf stable and to be able to get them out to, into the global marketplace. So Things like that, or uh, we can imagine a lot of different kind of businesses that would have the same 
core tenants and, and model, uh, but it might be a different product. That's beautiful. I love it. I love it. I love the fact that you're looking at expanding because what I took away from the video that was presented at the Global Congress was just that it was a great company. It's obviously, you know, it's meeting the felt need of the community. But what are some of the other impacts that you would look and say, you know, our company did this. I know you've talked about, you know, when people are with the typhoons, I think the company steps Mm -hmm. in and provides you know, development aid and so on. What, how, how would you define or describe just the general impact that you're having other than the better product and, and, and some good job? Look, that's enough, <laughs> but, I, but I know there's more. Yeah, we've, and that part really has been the easy part. It, it leans into our, our background. And so it's, it's been our, our desire to help the community has always been there. And that's re- really where we've, we've leaned. So we've done a lot in the community in terms of one is clean water. One of the things we did in the very beginning is we, we did this baseline survey. We wanted to know what are the real needs in the community? Because I think sometimes you can have somebody who's very influential or somebody that's an authority that can say, this is what our community needs. And you can start going along and, and just doing that, you know, somebody, or maybe somebody gets the idea of, Hey, look, these kids don't have any shoes. And so let's, Let's give everybody shoes, but maybe that's not really what the community need. That's not one of the bigger felt needs. So we wanted to get some hard data. Uh, at the same time, we wanted to have data because we wanted to know, were we making a difference? Everybody can have an anecdotal story of, you know, somebody, you know, crying because, you know, you did something great for them, but did we move the needle? Did we change the life of these, of these families living in poverty? Did we truly help them? in a holistic way. And so uh, we did that and, and found And then we, and then another thing that we did, I think that was pretty unique is instead of keeping that data to ourselves, we actually brought that to the local leaders and said, here's what we found. Does this match your experience? And they really valued it because they had never done a survey like this. And then we collaborated and said, we want to, we want to help. We want to do something, but would you help us prioritize? What's most important in this list of, of things that, you know, that are areas uh, that are problems in the community. And the, the bit, the number one thing we identified was clean water that we, th- we said, if, cl- if we could have people drinking clean water, it would solve a lot of issues, mainly health. Uh, it would help. One of the biggest problems in the area is kids just have constant diarrhea. And so we knew that that would impact that. Uh, people would be healthier. There's a lot of other uh, waterborne diseases that would stop. And so we wanted to start with, with, uh, with clean water. And so there's many ways that, that we, that we've been working on that. And a big part of that has actually just been education because many, I was in one of one community meeting where I was with a group of 30 people and one guy gets up and he says, Eric, look at this glass of water. You know, this, this comes from, from my shallow well, and this is clean. I said, yes, it looks clean, but uh, there's more to it. And so we had to do a lot of uh, really fun exercises to help people understand uh, who don't, you know, don't know what a a germ or bacteria virus is, how to help them understand that that's actually unclean water Mm -hmm. and it's, and it's having a negative impact on your family. So clean water, are you digging deeper wells? Are you bringing new technology? What's the, what's the practical thing that you're doing? Well, we started with these 
uh, buckets that did its microfiltration, uh, similar to the Sawyer buckets you might have seen. We technically we used a company called Aquaclara. So it's 0.1 micron fil filtration, which ba bacteria and viruses can't pass through. And so we we've been doing that. But uh, just this last year, we discovered there's a spring, a fresh mountain water spring that's about a mile away. And for our plant, we need clean water. And we were going to pipe it in. And, and we said, actually, it's more water than we need. What if we double the size of our pipes and pipe it into the community? And they, we split it. Half goes to the community, half goes to us. Uh, because the bucket system, it's, it's good. It, it can be really helpful, but uh, helping the whole community set up a, a system for clean water mm -hmm. is much better. So uh, we're, that's in development right now. That's awesome. That is awesome. So um, when I was looking at, at your LinkedIn profile, one of the things that you said in it was having been, I guess, the vice president when this started, you're now the president and CEO but your point in that, I think, was, hey, I was involved in everything. Right? <laughs> I mean, I turned the lights on. I made the car, you know, it, it literally kind of A to Z, everything. And I'd asked you before while we were talking before the, uh, the episode began to share a little bit with us, because a lot of people don't go there. You've seen the good, the bad, the ugly of starting up mm. an impact company, right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's in another country. It's meeting a felt need. It's, in this case, meeting multiple needs. Uh, and going back even to the trafficking point, but but there's the hard roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty part of starting the business. Tell us a little bit about that, a little bit, of, I guess, about what worked, what you learned, what didn't work, what struggles you had. Just give us, I, won't, I can't call them all highlights, maybe some are highlights and some, some are lowlights, but <laughs> what are some of the memories that you have of those early days? Yeah, unfortunately, it's easy to remember the lowlights. Um, yeah, I, I think there, you know, those those years of 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 developing the product, of having you know multiple tests and it not working or buying equipment and it still didn't give us the the outcome we wanted. Those were those were hard times. Um, the, the time where we we had bought this this specialized roofing material that was really eco-friendly and it was going, I can't remember what it was going to do, but it was, it was this eco-friendly product. And as the truck that's coming to deliver it is coming through the mountains, it actually toppled over do because of a landslide and, uh, you know, it, terrible things. Uh, in fact, we, we started having such a long list of times where people said to us, well, in my 30 years of history in this industry, this has never happened. <laughs> we, we started counting uh, how many people are going to say this to us. It, it really felt like there was this uh, oppressive force that, that was against us. Uh, and really, we believed that there, there was. And so certainly could have been. Yeah. And so I think also uh, getting getting capital was hard, uh, you know, especially uh, I think there's been some new efforts lately to, to help businesses like ours. But uh, a decade ago, this was this is still a hard idea for a lot of investors to swallow. Uh, for most investors, I have two pockets. This is my investment pocket. I may try and make as much as money as possible, maybe try to avoid evil industries you know, if you're conscious about that. And then in my other pocket, I give freely, it's generous, you know, it's donation, it's charities and things like that. And to the idea that this would be both, that there, there, there would be, there would be profits, but it'd be concessionary. It would be patient capital. 
but there'd be these incredible other returns that would happen on a, on a social level, environment and spiritual level. It just, uh, that's pretty different, uh, for, for a lot of people, even still today. So that that's been hard. Um, and mm-hmm. we have, we have a pretty big facility, you know, some of our machinery is $150,000 for one piece of equipment. So it, it, we had to, our, our scale, uh, was much larger than than many other businesses, and so we weren't we weren't able to do a, a lean startup when we started, just because of the nature of the product we needed to make required these these this expensive machinery. I think also um, there are a lot that we a lot that we learned in terms of some of the certifications, just getting. Uh, getting our product to market with food. Uh, food is is hard. There's food safety requirements you have to do. You have to meet FDA requirements. Uh, we we went after organic certification because we saw a lot of our competitors had that. And while that might be easy when you have a large plantation or uh, you know company owned farms, we were dealing with smallholders. These are these are farmers that have two to eight and a half acres of land. And many times their coconut trees are not even in rows. They're just scattered because they've owned them for generations. Mm-hmm. So getting them to, uh, to follow this manual, even uh, most of them couldn't even read. So we had to explain this manual that, uh, you know, to be honest, this organic certification, it was hard for us to understand all the requirements <laughs> and what we had to do to, to, to get the certification, let alone try to explain this to our, our farmers. And get them to do the documentation and everything. For many of them, we had to teach them how to write so they could document uh, some of the things they were doing. So it, it felt like it was it, it was a system that was not set up uh, to help really the small farmer, which is surprising because a lot of times we think of organic yeah, as it's exactly. pretty close to fair trade and it's helping the small guy. No, uh, most organic and actually most mm-hmm. fair trade, it's it it helps the big guys first because they have the ability. Uh, to to implement these these really rigorous systems, and and then I think I think the other hard part was just getting that getting some of those initial sales. Um, once we once we ha- we ha- we had this pretty divine meeting with Meyer, who is a, a grocery s- store in the Midwest. They have about uh, two hundred fifty eight stores now, but before we we had them, uh, people would ask us, you know, so where are you selling or we just, people didn't believe that it was, it was a good product, but once we had that meeting with Meyer and the buyer said, great, we'll put you in all our stores. All of a sudden, when we said we're in Meyer, everybody said, oh, well, you must, you must be a good product. And that, that just snowballed uh, into many other grocery stores. It gave us that brand validation and we needed that. Yeah. You know that, and I love you saying, saying that because again, I think we romanticize impact business and we're going to go and we're going to do good. And, and you are, by the way. I mean, I, there's no question. You're doing amazing things. But sometimes we kind of gloss over the heavy lifting that goes into it, the things you just described, you know, the equipment issues, the, the oppressive environment at, at times, the, the, the bringing together the small farmers as opposed to having, a, a, you know, a big uh, source of, of coconut. So I, I love that you went there. And I, and I, and I hope people that, that are listening uh, are not hearing Oh, I can't do this. The whole point of this podcast is you can do it. What what carried you through more than anything? Really, the biggest thing was was our belief that this was that 
that God had led us to do this. And there were many times in our process that, that we were really on our knees, just saying, God, we are, we are sunk without you and in this. And, and there, and, and God really came through. Um, there were, I mean, there were, there were at least a half dozen that were really significant for us in our history that someday, you know, we'd love to write down and, you know, have it in a book or something, but and we did have this conviction that this was the right thing to do uh, for the community and that this was, this was what God was really leading us to do that kept us going. Um, and I, th- I think um, there were, we had a small group of people that, you know, it wasn't just one person, a lone ranger. I, I can imagine if I was doing this just by myself, I would have burnt out a long time ago, but there's something about doing it with a team of people that, that really is motivating and encourages you. And when you're down and when you've got, you know, a lot of negative thinking going, they really bring you back. And so I think that those were two key elements. Yeah. You know, and I love, again, I, I love that you said that because I, we, we've, we've idolized the, the sort of Western cowboy hero entrepreneur who goes out and does it all by himself. Yeah. And yet that's not common. And certainly it's not the way that a kingdom company should operate. It's meant to be a community of people, uh, internationals, nationals, all together, pulling together to make things happen. I think that is, that's, that's, that's to me, the organization God bless us. All right. So let, let me ask you one last question. Um, and thank you for sharing that, by the way. I just, and, and I'm going to say this now, dignitycoconuts.com. It'll be in the show notes, but it is dignitycoconuts.com. I was just looking uh, on Amazon where you've got your product. I mean, it's uh, it's out there, guys. So, guys, I want you to, I'm going to charge every everybody that listens to this podcast, go go try it. If you don't like it, fine, but go try it. And uh, and, and I bet you will. The um, but I, So, where are you going? You know, you mentioned possible expansion to some other uh, um, tropical environments, but in the next year, I mean, we've just come through two of the worst years in, in human history, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I know it's probably affected your business a lot and affected the local people a great deal. I've got friends in the Philippines that have told me it's been, been quite difficult. Um, but what do you see in the next year? What, 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 what's the, what's the, the hope? What's the, what's the vision for this? Not long-term, but just the next year. We'll pray for you but also hopefully we'll be able to help you in ways that, that we haven't thought of yet. Yeah. To back up, to understand where we're headed, it's helpful to know kind of where we've been the last two years. Uh, not only did we have have similar issues to other companies dealing with the pandemic, um, supply chain, not being able to have uh, get certain items and just travel and workers and things like that. We had a lot of the similar ones, even though in the Philippines, it was quite extreme, the, the quarantines and things that they had. But for us, we also, in an area that usually gets a typh- a super typhoon every five years, we had within 18 months, we had four super typhoons hit. And so it was devastating. It was another one of those times that we, we looked at each other and said, this is probably it. We're, we're probably done because the, the coconut trees were stripped of their coconuts. And we thought it's unlikely that we're going to have enough coconuts around this area to, to supply what we need. And so, but at the same time, the community was hurting so bad. We said, well, we, let's, let's keep going for the sake of the community. So we sent our skill, skilled workers out there and we repaired and rebuilt about 330 homes 
we started doing rice distributions because people were just on the brink of starvation be between the pandemic and the typhoon. They just had nothing, and especially especially the farmers. And so we distributed over the course of a year. We actually did five rice distributions, and it ended up doing passing out about a quarter of a million pounds of rice to twenty two hundred families. And then put it together food boxes for our farmers. We sent out 2,500 coconut saplings to, to the farmers to help them replant. And so that's that was really 2020 was this repairing, rebuilding, and just, just surviving. And then in 2021, it was praying, God, would you bring these trees back? We don't have a business if we don't have coconut trees. And quite miraculously, this summer those trees that had been stripped of the coconuts, they started bearing fruit again. And we had asked our team, Hey, like how many, what percentage would you say of the coconuts that had been stripped came, came back? And they said, they said, all of them. Well, he said, well, give us a percentage, you know, are you just being, you know, are you exaggerating? Was it 60%? What was it? And they said, no, it was a hundred percent of these trees that, that had come back. And so we looking into 2022, We've, we're really positioned to grow. And uh, we're in this place where we figure out the manufacturing. Every day we're getting consistently good product coming out. We, we have the supply of the coconut trees and we've, we've overcome, uh, you know, we have a community and employees and farmers that are great. So now we're ready to kind of take on some of these bigger opportunities that we actually couldn't take on before because uh, we didn't have this, this supply. So we're ready. Uh, you know, we're ready for the Kroger's we're ready for, uh, increasing our online presence. Uh, up until now we've, we haven't done advertisements. We've just had organic growth. And so we're excited to start, uh, doing some advertising and, and really seeing how, how far can this business go? That sounds like a great year. And, uh, we'll, we pray that it will be so. Thank you. So guys, this is Eric Olson from Dignity Coconuts, dignitycoconuts.com. Check it out. Uh, Eric, you got to come back. And we got to do this again a few months from now, maybe at the end of the year. We want to hear how it's going. We want people to know about the product, what you're doing, learn from you, buy from you, all of the above. It's a great work. And I really appreciate you spending the time with us. Thank you. This has been fun. Fantastic. We'll see you soon. Great. Thanks for listening to the Business as Mission podcast. We invite you to become part of the story by supporting the BAM podcast at patreon.com slash BAM stories. There's a link in the notes with this episode. For more information, go to thirdpathinitiative.com or tryventure.com. Please share this podcast and give us a review wherever you listen. <music>